Welcome to the Life Science Marketing Society podcast, bringing you best practices, advice and insight from marketing experts from across the life science industry and beyond. To get more insight from the Life Science Marketing Society, please visit www.lifesciencemarketingsociety.org and grab your free membership. Hello and welcome to the Life Science Marketing Society podcast. I'm Harrison Wright. And I'm Nick Oswald. And today, Harrison and I will be talking about the Life Science Marketing Society presentation from Marina Hopp of Vivio Limited. She was talking about what is marketing strategy and why does it matter in life science. So Harrison, what popped out for you in that presentation? There's so many things I could pick that uh, I, I don't think we can cover them all today. I think people have to watch the the full presentation for that. But one of the things that Marina talked about was how marketing, branding, and strategy are actually three different things. And a lot of marketers confuse them uh, or don't know the difference between them, whereas it's important to understand what each of those three things is, what their strengths and weaknesses are, where they're appropriate to be used, and most importantly, how to combine the three uh, to, to gain the best results. And while that stuck out to me, I wanted to use that as context to say that the biggest thing of all that, that stood out to me was this systematic approach Marina put across to solving marketing problems and executing a marketing strategy. So you know, if someone uses this methodology that Marina advocates, then rather than being reactive in a sense of, oh, we need to get some leads, let's go and get some leads today, or, oh, we need to push this product, let's push this product today. It's about taking a step back, looking at the entire situation and all the, the roadblocks that lay ahead and, and then constructing and executing a, a fully integrated plan to achieve your goals. It's not a specific point that Marina put across, but if we look at the overriding theme, uh, I think that's one of the most important things I took away. Yeah, and I think that if you go back to looking at marketing strategy and brand, you know, as those the kind of foundations of that plan that uh, Marina was talking about there, one thing that I love is when you go back and look at the historical context in any situation. And Marina gave a great insight when she talked about that marketing is what came first, came in the 1940s, and that's a customer-focused approach to drive sales. Where strategy didn't come around until the 1960s, and that's based on kind of military theory and so on, about how to beat the competition. So that's a competition-focused part of the foundation there. And then she talked about brand and then that's, you know, she's talking about then the brand being the the promise to the customer, if you like. And that's when it started getting very interesting for me because the natural um, direction to go in or, or the instinctive direction to go in as a marketer is to go for the, you know, as you said, get leads, go for the sale and to be very product focused. But what Marina uh, talked about here was the brand message is really the multiplier of any product marketing and in that the claims that you make in the brand about what your company is and how it is and the experience of uh, buying or uh, working with that company will be the claims that that branding customers really believe it and basically any product marketing you do the effectiveness of that is multiplied by how good your branding is i i love that phrase the brand is the multiplier of product marketing. I think it just encapsulates it perfectly. Yeah. 
So you're really shortchanging yourself if you just go straight for the, the product marketing all the time. You need to take some time to build the brand as well. And ideally do it in hand in hand, I guess, because you always need product marketing. You always need to be trying to push for the sale. But if you don't focus on the branding as well, then you're um, you're falling behind You know the, your competitors who are uh, doing better branding than you are. This is such a such a critical point actually and i wanted to dive a little more into it something that if if people took away nothing else from this apart from this one quote from marina here which was lead to sale conversion ratios are much higher for strong brands uh, and, and to me it's just a case of let that sink in because people are always focused on you know how can we how can we sell this product how can we solve the customer's problem depending on which side of the fence you're on marketing or sales but these are both critically important and you've got to do that anyway, but you make your life so much easier by having that strong brand in the first place, which means A, it can't be neglected, and B, you know, maybe it's worth looking at how do you build a strong brand? And uh, we, there's so many directions we could take this, but one thing that, that sticks in my mind is a strong brand is by its own nature, it's distinctive. It, it can be different. I mean, a great example that springs to mind, if any of you haven't heard of Unchained Labs, yeah. go and check out their company. Just Google Unchained Labs. Nick, you brought this up to me in a conversation before. Do you, do you want to talk a little bit about them? Yeah, I almost jumped out of my seat when I saw what they were offering because, like anyone else, it's they're selling equipment that does a job. It has the, the equipment has features. It does a specific job for a specific kind of scientist. But what they've done beautifully is that they've just given their uh, their products and their company uh, a personality that you can that you just resonate with um, and it's, it's simple stuff like <laughs> one of their uh, one of their products is called lunatic the other one is called uncle there's another one called hunky there's one called bouncer and they all have this very distinct branding but even just the names and the colouring and the the font types they use, the graphics on on the instrumentation, it just pops right out at you. And then the website carries that through by, um, you know, being very, what's the word, unconventional. I think you know, a bit a bit rebellious, and it just stands out from everyone else. That looks simple, but you can bet that took a lot of planning to to get that into place. Oh, I can imagine it was a it was a traumatic process for the people that had to execute it. But uh, what a result! I, I think it's a it's something to stress for me because you know, what's if you, if you're building a life science tools company, what's the obvious thing that you think? Oh, we need to be professional and reliable and uh, innovative and trustworthy, which is great. I'd say those are all great aspects to have in a in a scientific company. But the problem is everyone else is presenting themselves as those things as well. So how do you stand out? Yeah, exactly. And a foundational issue here that that is particular to this sector, uh, and Marina touched on this, is that where do science companies come from? They come from scientists. And what are, how are scientists trained? They're trained to be rational and not emotional. And they're... Uh, and for that reason, they just tend to focus. There's a big tendency to focus on the product, and the features, and how great that product is, and so on, and neglect the emotional side of the branding, which is the branding, um, you know, the the way that that 
um, product and company make the um, the customer feel? I completely agree with that. On the on the sales side as well, not just in marketing, it's a uh, it's a lot of thing I've seen new reps can struggle with. Yeah. if they've come from the lab. And wh- one of the things that Marina talked about there was, you know, we talk about you know that the unchained labs, uh, the visual look and the feel of the brand there. But another thing that Marina talked about is just just delighting your customers. And this is one thing that we always talk about is the more times that you can make a connection with someone and feel that they really got something from you, whether that is in a product they bought from you or it's in a something of theirs that, the years that they read or a tweet of yours that they saw or, or whatever, then... Um, you know, each one of those counts in the mind of the of uh, the buyer, and you know, towards the sort of feel of how that brand feels to them. So, the more positive impacts you can make, uh, the better it is. That's brand building uh, to me, in essence. You know, it is. And if you think about it, a brand is just the corporate equivalent of your personal reputation it's the same concept but on a on a larger scale and yeah how do you, how do you build your your personal reputation it's through the things that you do it's it's the fact that if someone uh, you speak to someone and you tell them you'll get back to them in two days you get back to them in two days and if someone calls you you answer the phone promptly and you 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 do what you say you'll do and over time that builds your reputation it's the same thing with a brand if, if you're a company that i mean, i spoke to uh, Cluid actually, Cluid Probert of White Hat, he told me a brilliant story about a company he'd worked for before and they had, um, they did everything through an inbound marketing methodology. So uh, they had an inbound sales set up. They would generate leads online using lead magnets and uh, nurturing campaigns, etc. And then they would draw them into a, into a funnel which starts with a, a conversation with the salesperson. But what they would do is they had a company target where a salesperson had to call somebody who signed up for a lead magnet within five minutes of them downloading it. Didn't matter what the time of day or night was. Okay. Uh, didn't matter if it was over the weekend. <laughs> it would come through that you would have to call them within five minutes. And what they found was people were so overwhelmed by how responsive the company was. You know, they, they just completely, completely outshone everyone. And beyond their wildest dreams, they were successful. All because of building that reputation for being responsive. And following through with it after that initial call. Yeah, I think that that just gives you a great, you know, the, the, the customers who uh, see that response, that sort of responsiveness, it kind of give, it gives you the, the feeling that that's what working with that customer or that company will be like. And so, you know, that's what you want from a company you're working with, isn't it? It's responsiveness. If you need something, they're there. And I guess that's setting down that promise straight away. Have you ever heard that old saying? It's, I'm sure this came from one of the famous motivational speakers of old, but I can't remember which one. But it might have been Jim Rohn, but he said, how you do anything is how you do everything. Yeah. Yeah, that definitely. And I guess this is what, what this is all about, is not being fake in building your brand. And it's exactly the same in your personal life, isn't it? It's putting it, your some of your energy into focusing on what other people want. <laughs> and uh, whereas, you know, in, in the marketing context, that's, uh, what you want is sales, but what the, what your customers want is something else. So if you focus on just what you want, then you get you, you get sidetracked into this, you know, ever decreasing circle. But if you focus on what other people want as well, 
then that starts to pay dividends back to you. But you know, it's just it's just the authentic you looking for the ways that you would naturally want to help people when you're you're putting your attention on it like that. I get uh, another th- example that you mentioned in the presentation. Uh, I think that's a good one, Harrison. Is you know for brand building, it's a very simple approach, and it's the one from Santa Cruz Biotechnology. Yeah, with their with their Twitter feed. Yes. Yeah. That, that's a really interesting point. That one. So, I when when I I don't know if any of you listening have have seen uh, Santa Cruz Biotechnology's Twitter feed, but it it's full of memes and jokes and pretty much that's the majority of what they put out and it's really funny and memorable uh, and i i spoke to someone once about them i mentioned it. it was just in a context of a conversation we were having and and he thought he hated their marketing oh really this this one person did but to me that's not necessarily a bad thing it means whatever you do if you stand out it's going to draw some people in and it's going to push some people away but you'll be memorable it's better than being I, you know, I hate the word, but it's better than being vanilla and being unremarkable to everybody. Absolutely. Some people love you, some people hate you, you're doing the right thing. And the interesting thing about the Santa Cruz biotechnology approach was most of that stuff on their Twitter feed has nothing to do with their product or really much to do with their cost company apart from showing we are a fun bunch of people and wouldn't it be fun to work with us? But also it's that positive impacts thing. It's every time they see, you know, a customer on the, or a Twitter follower there sees uh, one of their funnies on the Twitter feed and it makes them laugh. They get, uh, you know, they get a bunch of endorphins coming out and that's associated with the with Santa Cruz Biotechnology and and that just builds over time to, to good feeling about the brand. So there's all sorts of angles to approach that uh, branding thing from, from pure strategy to just making feel-good moments. Um, and everything in between. That, for me, Marina's pointing out in that that presentation that that is the multiplier for product sales. I thought it was a really neat way to put it. I do as well. And you know, on a similar note, something else that stood out to me in in Marina's presentation was uh, we were talking about how to differentiate commodity products, even when they don't have their own individual brand. And just just a to back up on that a little bit, um, we were what led up to that was discussing how it's not always the the best choice to have an individual plan for each separate product. And there was one company that ended up with over four thousand different trademarks, if I if I remember the number correctly. And it was just an insane waste of time, and money, and it, it confused the customers because you know how can you remember four thousand different brands? Yep. So they segmented. They had a, a number of key brands and, and products came under those in, in different variants, which turned out to be the much better choice. But the, the, the question we got to then is, how do you differentiate these commodity products um, if, if you're in that commoditized side of, side of the market in, as some forms of consumables are? And what Marina brought up was great, was that there's, there's essentially three ways to do that. You can either do it through the total product offering so, you know, what, what add-ons potentially could you bolt onto the product, be it an, an app, an analysis feature, or what, what else could you provide that comes as part of the product package to make the product itself more, more useful to you? There's also uh, the customer experience, you know, things like the training, service, convenience. And then finally, there's the product lifecycle. So it could be not about the efficacy of the product itself, but 
could it be manufactured in a more environmentally friendly way or um, could it be packaged in a in a better way so the reason that I picked up on this in particular a it's useful for uh, as a as a framework for thinking about how to brand commodity products but it's also useful to think about overall because even if you've got the best product in the world if you're also considering the you know, how can you make the total product package the best how can you make the customer experience the best it can be how can you pay consideration to the product life cycle in that process as well if you if you're attending to all those things um, you're going to be in an unstoppable position and if you always think total product offering customer experience product life cycle underpinning everything you're doing you're you're going to be taking so many things into consideration that you might have left out otherwise yeah and I guess when you look at the big picture of that and then boil it back down to, you know, that instinctive, rational approach to trying to generate sales, which is to just keep talking about your product, then I guess that's where we're, what we're looking at here is, get, you know, yeah, keep product focus as part of your mix, but then turn around and look at all of these other things, branding, and then all these positioning aspects that, uh, that help to just raise all that product marketing up to new levels that it could never reach without those things in place. Absolutely. And, you know, the, the, the nirvana for any company is to have uh, an effective monopoly. So uh, it would be amazing if you managed to hold that for hold on to that for any period of time, but it's always a great great place to look at. And how, how do you do that? If you think if you put yourself in a customer's shoes, whether they're conscious of it or not, they're always making an evaluation from what to buy over an enormous array of factors and, um, you you won't, you probably won't even know what all the factors are that go into their decision for each individual case, not not even a fraction of them. So what could those things be? They could be features of the product itself. It could be you know, throughput of an instrument. It could be it could be price. Uh, it could also be uh, the the perception of the overall company brand. You know, are they reliable? Are they trustworthy? Are they you know, do we do we enjoy working with them? It could be customer service you've experienced in the past it could be the packaging it could be you know it, it just stands out and grabs your attention the way um unchained labs branding does and that makes you think oh this is going to be great i want to go for this one and you thought uh, some people will have almost made the decision that that's what they want to do before they've even logically evaluated everything that comes underneath and i think the more if you think of it as, as a, a value array if you can skew the value of both the company and the products that are being sold by your company through um, maximizing the appeal of every single um, every single area of value you can think of across all of these areas, um, you're going to be setting yourself up for success. Definitely. Okay, on that note, I think we'll say to, to all you listeners that uh, if you want to hear more of this stuff that came from Marina, from Vivio Limited, then you can hop over to the Life Science Marketing Society uh, website. Short link there is bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash L-S-M-S dash Marina, M-A-R-I-N-A. Um, and with your, you can get a free membership there. And with that, you can view her whole presentation. So with that, uh, we'll say goodbye for this one. I've been Nick Oswald. And this is Harrison Wright. Uh, talk to you soon. To get more insight from the Life Science Marketing Society, please visit www.lifesciencemarketingsociety.org and grab your free membership.